Hello and welcome to the second episode of the Raw Podcast. This is the history of the Richmond Football Club as told by those who were there. And these are interviews I've conducted over the last 10 to 15 years and I still continue to do over the phone and in person with Richmond uh, footballers, Richmond officials from the past. And so I take you now to part two of my conversation with Paddy Ganane. I mean, you and your father were the first father-son to play 100 games for Richmond. It was... Um, I wasn't aware of that till Billy uh, Meekland yeah. told me. Yeah. Um, in fact, when he told me, he said, you, you, you're the... He said, at that time, I yeah. forget how many years ago it was, That's right. you're the only father and son yeah. combination that's played 100 games. Mm. Now, that, that I don't know if that's someone else has done that. I mm. wouldn't be aware of the history of mm. that, you know, did, since that time. Did, did, did your father come and watch you play? Well, <laughs> that was another strange... Pre- someone asked me that, and I said, look, I can honestly say never once in his life did he tell me he was at the game. Oh, really? Or, or he, not once. Gee. But I... I've, I've heard from many of the former players, because he was in the former players association, you know, yep. and he would have met up with a lot of them. I'd run into them at the club and said, oh, I had a drink with the father the other day at the, you know, at the Gale at Carlton or, you know, at the G or wherever it was. Gee. Yeah, though I th- he was always there, yeah. but he never once said to me, I was there or, or you know, or you played well, or, oh, you, geez, you made a lot of mistakes, right. or, or, you know, whatever. Yeah. I never got a comment at all. He just, he stayed out of that side of thing. It might have been deliberate, I'd say. Yeah. Gee, that's interesting, isn't it? Well, uh, funny thing, because the only question he ever asked me, we were sitting at the tea table one night and just chatting on about all and sundry, mm. and he said to me... Um, now answer honestly here. He said, "You've been at, you've been playing the Tigers now for five years." He said, "Is is the is there anything you've learnt about playing better football or improving your performance? Like it's talking about personally mm. from any of the coaches you've had." Now I said, "Think about it and just ask. Tell me." Have they coached you to be a better player, you know, in the five years? Well, I had a silly think about it, and I know, I think he knew what I was going to say, but he was just wanted to verify it. Um, I said, no, I can't honestly say, you know, I've respected, naturally, you respect the coaches that are coaching you, they're sort of your bosses, but I said, I can't honestly say in the five years anyone's pulled me aside and said, now look, in the game on Saturday you did this mm. or you didn't do that or now this is this is how it would be best to go about it. You know, just giving you words of advice to improve your game. He was quite right. That never, ever happened, Brett. Gee. Not once. Yeah. In fact, it never, ever started to happen until Len Smith came to the club. Right, yeah. You know, Graham chased Len Smith mercilessly because uh, mm. he's... He's, I know because Graham was a very, very close friend of mine, and he, he he knew instinctively with the coaching we'd had, um, and I know he was disappointed. Not that he ever said it publicly, but you know when he was coach of the fourths and then the thirds, 
he was he was promoting say very good young under nineteen players up to the seconds when they warranted uh, promotion, but to be handled by what he he I mean he never said it publicly mm. by people that were just useless. Yeah. They couldn't they just couldn't develop the players, yeah. you know. Former players who were who were probably in their past mm. were great Richmond players, you know, perform well but didn't necessarily have the ability to coach them, you know. And uh, the, the, I know the very first year he was, um, he, he took over the secretaryship, which was late 62. He it was one of the first things he did at the board meeting mm. is to make a motion that we immediately chase someone that could really help the club, yeah. you know, up the ladder. Yeah. Well, I mean, he did it single-handedly. He just, he just drove Len Smith mad until... Uh, he decided, um, he, he, he was, he, Graham, Len says publicly, he was, I said, he said, I was sick of saying no to Graham, and he said he wouldn't accept it. He said three times he came at me with a different argument and a, a reason to, anyhow, he said to get rid of him, I have to say, yes, I'll do it. But, Rhett, it wasn't until those years when Len Smith came to the club mm. that we, any of us understood the, all the teamwork elements of football and what makes a great side and right. I mean he had all these beautiful rules that he made us learn and like like it was like being in school actually <laughs> and I think it was about that time that your father was just coming through the ranks you know as a seconds player and then you know breaking his way into the ones yeah yeah I think you're right actually I think that, that that's that timing exactly one, one, yeah, up, yeah. one person right. you had in your team was a guy called Jeff Strang. Who, Jeffrey, yeah. Who, who, I mean, I wonder, was there a bit of a connection with you and Jeff? Because, you know, his earlier Strangs played probably with Dan as well at oh, the time. The, the, yeah, well, there was Doug and Gordon Strang. So I'm just his wanting... father and his uncle. Yeah. They, they both played at Richmond and with, when my father was there. Did you get to meet them, Doug and Gordon Strang? No, I never did. I never. Uh, now, one of them died fairly early. Yeah, he did. You're right, actually. Um, uh, yeah, I can't remember. Um, Doug, oh, Doug died in 1954. Yeah. Uh, actually, Gordon died in 51. So they did die uh, in the 50s when you were probably you were yeah at the time a bit of yeah, yes. A I would have been too young to know them. Yeah. The, the, one of the other brothers was Buck. Oh, oh, was it Buck Strain? Yeah, they it? called him Buck, right. and he was a great mate of Jack Dyer's because yeah. every year Buck Strang and Jack, they would get they, see Johnny Perry's um, mother. She was a she was the sister to Doug and Gordon Strang. That's right. Yes, she was a Strang. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, yeah Bobby they called her. Yeah, uh, and um, do you know every year Jack and Buck would go up to Wodonga, they'd stay at the Blazing Stump Hotel, and of course, old Jack Perry, that Johnny's old man, um, he's, he was the publican there at the time, um, oh, they went out shooting and fishing and on the Hume Weir, and oh, th they went up there every year. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't know, see, um, uh, Doug Strang was uh, Jeff Strang's father. Correct, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, who played in the 67. Yep. Premiership. Mm. Yeah. 
So did you did you have a connection with Jeff in particular, seeing that there was that earlier connection with your father? Oh, well, I remember was when Jeff? we were chasing him, I, I went on a countless number of trips with Graham, you know, to even to get Johnny Perry. Oh, right. Uh, and... Um, and 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 uh, Strangy. And was was this because you were what as a recruiter, or just because there was a senior player that he took along with him? Well, or? well, see, for many years before Graham became secretary, yeah. I mean, I was a very close friend of his. Sure. Uh, before he even came back to Richmond, I mean, the first year I know him, he, he was actually playing or attempting to play with Moorabbin in the BFA. Right. You know, that's when Mar- before Moorabbin. Uh, dropped out of the uh, VFA competition. Yeah. And they were down where St Kilda's been for many years, as you know. Yeah. Um, um, Graham was playing in the centre there, but, uh, of course, you may, may or may not know, Graham had a very, very bad knees, and he finished up having the whole four cartilages removed from his knee. He had no cartilages all in his leg, uh, or his legs. And, uh, of course, ultimately, he just had to give it away. Yeah. And, um, but I got to know him um, very early in the piece. I was only about 15, and I first met Graham in Tommy Hafey's milk bar <laughs> in, um, in Bridge Road. He called in one night. He was, I remember he was, he was driving a white MG sports car, and um, he had a big mop of blonde hair. And uh, anyhow, Tommy introduced me to him, and with his great knowledge of the Richmond, of the history of Richmond, which he did have, and I think he must have known nearly every player that ever played. When he said that I was, uh, he mentioned my name as a Ghanaian. Mm. He said, "You're not Danny's son, no? I said, "Yeah, that was my father." Blah. Well, he seemed to take a, a, a bit of an interest in me, you know. Yeah. And I was, I was only a bloody knockabout lout. <laughs> In the, with half the other louts in Richmond, uh, up at Tommy's, playing the jukebox and drinking his pineapple squash. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that was how I first met him. Well, I mean, Graham was working at that stage with the Gas and Fuel Corporation. Right. Um, and uh, I used to see him around. The, and then he, uh, then a few years later, of course, I found myself at Richmond when I was say eighteen. And uh, Graham was then managing the Melbourne Health Studios mm-hmm. in um, in in the city, you know, on the corner of Russell and uh, um, Lonsdale Street. Mm-hmm. And it was a very, very good sporting gym. You know, there was a lot of sportsmen in there. And um, he was the manager there. And uh, he was the first who said, now, listen, Cocker, you've got to get in here and build up your body, you know, because I think it was only about 12 stone at the time. And um, I just took to the weights, you know, under his guidance and, um, uh, you know, I finished up playing at about 16 and a half stone. Right. And it was all due to weights, I'm sure, of that and, and getting a bit older and more mature. But, yeah. but uh, see, I'd known him all through those years. Right. And then he, and then he coached the fourths um, at Richmond. Yes, and then that's the right. Jo- and then he became, uh, the, Billy Wilson, I think, uh, resigned or had to resign because of his job of coach of the thirds. Uh, and Graham, um, he became coach of the thirds, and he was there for a couple of years. And then um, mm. at the end of 62, he coached the thirds in 62, um, he became secretary. But, oh, that's what I meant to tell you. When he coached the fourths and the thirds, he had a very good relationship with Maury Fleming, mm-hmm. who was our secretary at the time. Mm-hmm. You're an elderly bloke. 
yep. sorry, a real gentleman, but quite elderly. And Graham, he, he, Graham uh, um, uh, offered to to sort of um, recruit young boys to come into the under 17s that he was coaching and yeah. also the under 19s mm-hmm. and he'd go out the houses you know they'd, we'd get tips and I mean of course we had the, the, the as you know in those days we had the um, our metropolitan zone oh the zone yeah and uh, but of course the, the outside the metropolitan zones it was uh, a free for all you know the country zones hadn't come into it then um, and we used to chase well Graham always felt that uh, well, I start, had started to play with Richmond at the time, and he he wanted to take at least like a league footballer into the households with him uh, when he was recruited. Just gave him a bit more sort of um, I don't know presence or something yeah, of, of, of of Richmond Football Club, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. because to those people, if you're in there recruiting. You, you, you are the Richmond Football Club to them yep. at that moment, and uh, I, I just went on countless trips with <laughs> him, you know, uh, right through. And then, of course, he became secretary. Well, then it was it was recruiting at a hundred miles an hour, you know. Yeah, are the stories true that you know you, you can carry with you a, a paper bag full of one dollar bills? I witnessed it many times, Rick, <laughs> in his presence. Did you really? Yeah, but Graham, I mean... And he had the gift of the gab, you know, what lovely flowers you have there in your garden uh, and all that. Yeah, but but the funny part about it, Red, it, it, it didn't sound... He was so sort of sincere, yep. it, it never, ever sounded corny. <laughs> I mean, great. it would today. Yep. He had a way about him, the yep. way he spoke to people, he had a lovely choice of words, and he was so sort of convincing and sincere. Right. Oh, he'd win mum over, he'd win dad over... <laughs> Um, but he, but he, but he had another philosophy about. Uh, I could go into it. It take for ages. The, the just the, the the complete method that he used to recruit all these star recruits that the, in the years that followed that ultimately won us the premiership. Right. The funny thing he, he talks about he many many times. He says to me. He said to me when he was alive. You know, and, and back in those years. At that stage, we had no one, we had no player on the list that you could call a genuine rover. Sure. You know, the way, so he chased, and I was with him on a run, and we chased every rover, like say, terrific, might have been a boy 18 or 19 starring in the country. Yeah. You know, he might have been playing with the seniors there. Well, he chased them all. He wanted to get a couple of good rovers. But, <laughs> While, while what he didn't know or didn't realise, while he was chasing these rovers from about 62 on, because he said it many times later on, here, right at our own doorstep, and we didn't know at the time, we had a kid playing in the fourths, then he graduated to the thirds, then he graduated to the twos. All through this time, we had Kevin Bartlett on the make. <laughs> probably too young to be promoted then, you know. But uh, he said all this bloody miles we went, travelled, and the money we spent trying to find a top rover. And we said we had the best rover in the business coming through our ranks right at the bottom. Yeah, it's often often it's the thing that's right in front of you that you miss, isn't it? 
Well, it was, it was you yeah. know. Yeah. And it's it's a funny thing. Um, I mean, he swore me swore me to secrecy about a lot of things. As you know, there was no money in football in those days. Of course not. None at all. And the, and the only way you could recruit players from uh, these is was signing on fees. Right. Yep. Because you know. Once they got to the club, they were just getting paid the, the normal cult of law payments, you know. Yep. And when, back in those days, they were just eight pounds a game. Yeah. And uh, when it turned to decimal currency in about, what, 64 or something, mm-hmm. it, it became $25 a game. Well, well, they all got what everyone else was getting there, but it was the signing on fees, you know. Well, Graham said, he said, look, he said, I feel terrible in front of you even though you're a good friend of mine but you're one of the players you're going to have to witness you know some of the amounts of money right. that you've got to spend yeah. to get them but he said I want you to view it like this you're going to have a career hopefully a long career at Richmond but in that time you know we all strive to play in the premiership side he said, and the only way you and Roger Dean and Crowey and Swifty and those players that were, you know, the older players at the time, the only way you blacks are going to enjoy a premiership is if we get as many good players as we can from the country or from another club or whatever, you know. Um, uh, but he said, I'm just, you know, mm. taking you into full confidence. Mm that whilst you sh- you and a few others should be getting a few quid, the system just doesn't allow it. Sure. And, um, well, I witnessed quite a few that got, as, as you pointed out, Red, a brown paper bag full of notes. That, uh, and he had a beautiful way of doing it. I remember when we signed uh, Peter Hogan. Yes, down at, the late Peter Hogan. Yeah, the late Peter yeah. Hogan. Yeah, he, he, he was the... Star young rover of the of the country football at the time, yep. and it looked the year before as though he was going to sign at Essendon. Right. In fact, John Coleman, who was who was a, a coach of Essendon at the time, he he, he just said he's a cert, he was a certainty. He told Graham, he said, "You're wasting your time. He's he's, he's going to he's going to sign with us." We took him to Hawaii last year on a holiday. He said, uh, "No, I think we've got him." Well, that just made Graham more and more determined, you know. Sure. Well, I reckon I went down to Portland with him, yep. well, not sure, Portland or Fort Ferry, with him um, four or five times Gee. trying to secure him. Hmm. But the final time we went, Graham had this paper bag <laughs> full of notes, like they were pounds then, you know, two-pound notes, yep. five-pound notes, ten-pound notes, <laughs> all mixed up and the final close as we went through all the objections and all the you know he he, he was able to logically argue argue that peter's not just going to come down here and uh be just on a list of 50 or 60 players and he'll have to fight his own he said to his old man tammy tammy he said, you will look at the Richmond lineup at the moment. Of, he said, we haven't got a rover to bless ourselves. There is a position there calling out for, a, for someone like your son yeah. to take it. 
Yeah. You know, he said it's not as though he's going to be just thrown to the wolves or be one of many. His form up here is, is proven, you know, in senior football. The 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 opening and the opportunity is here, staring us in the face. Mm. You know, I mean, he was able to convince them. And anyhow, as you know, I mean, as I said before, Essendon had made him offers and everything. Yeah. Anyhow, the final deal was, well, he said, I, I just can't convey any more thoughts to you about why Peter should sign with us at Richmond. He said, but I'm just hoping, and he stood up in the middle of the lion's room, and he had the, the bag planted somewhere behind him. He lifted the bag up from the, from the bottom of the bag so that the top would open as high as he could and just shook the bag, and these bloody pound notes and five pounds fluttered all the way down onto the carpet, spread out. Well, honestly, his father had never seen money like that in his life, I'm sure, because his eyes nearly popped out of his head. And he and he, he actually started to have tears in his eyes. <laughs> and he grabbed young Peter and he turned to us and said, can you excuse us for a minute? And he grabbed Peter and they marched into a bedroom and the door closed and they were behind, <laughs> they were behind closed doors for three or four or five minutes. Mm. And Graham said, I'd better get out the form four. I think he's ready to sign. Anyhow, they came back in. Graham had the bloody form out. Oh. He signed there on a spot. But it was just read the drama of it all. Isn't it? It's know? like a theatrical, you know, the dramatics of it, of the whole persuasion. Yeah. Oh, oh. look, he was a brilliant operator like that. Um, yeah, gee. Do you know what? Uh, uh, there's no doubt in the next five years, he, he put that side together, you know, chasing players like, like I mean, you, your father had graduated at that stage, of course, up there in about 66. Mm. And, um, but, you know, he got hold of, he, he grabbed Dickie Clay out of the clutches of North Melbourne, mm. who had him on a form four. Yeah. Um, uh, he had uh, got Francis Burke down, yeah, Royce, I mean, Royce of all, from, from um, Clarence in Hobart. Um, Strangy, oh, look, they just came, uh, and, of course, he always had this idea. He talked to me on. We'd be driving off to the country somewhere, and he'd he'd have a. He was a great visionary. And in those days, Red, <clears throat> for instance, I'll tell you. When most of the league clubs, when they put their side together, the two wingmen on in almost every side was about five foot high. Mm-hmm. They were tiny blokes, smart, snappy, clever but probably didn't have the, the, the gut-busting ability to rove, you know, up and down the ground. Mm. But in those locations, nearly all of them had... Graham said, used to say to me, I'm damned if I know why the clubs have persisted all these years of having women that are, women that are about five foot two that could run a bit. He said, why not have bikes that are six foot two that can run like hell can mark over their head if the fullback kicks the foot, kick it out after a point. A, a wingman can mark it. He said, "We've got to get a, a, a line at Richmond where they're all six footers." Well, <laughs> you have a look at that 
in 67. Yep. I mean, our centre line was Burke, Barrett and Clay. And yeah. Burke and Clay, in the years that followed, were able to play key positions like full-back, centre-half-back. Mm. They were sort of key position players that had the 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 build and the and the athleticism to play on a wing. Yeah, um, yeah. He was telling me about this back in '62, and I thought he was half mad. <laughs> but he, I mean, but he had this vision, you know, of that's the way the games to be played. With, you know, with with different sort of team structures than what had prevailed for years. Mm. You know, and with all those champion players, I can tell you this. I mean, it's something you'd like to hear. I mean, I've never said this to your father. Um, he was, um, you know, with with football the way it is, often, you know, a good player would get injured, you know, do a hamstring or do an ankle, and they'd be out of the side for three or four weeks and be this one and that one. Mm. And that always... Because Graham was always a bit of a pessimist at times. He was... Uh, he could always, always consider the downside as well. Right. as the upside. And he, I remember having a discussion with him one day about it. You know, we had all these top players, like, you know, Burke and Clay and Hart, Sheedy. He said, you know, we've got a good list of players too. Our seconds are always extremely strong. He said, most of our players, if, like he said, I'm thinking one at a time, if we lose them for three or four weeks, he said, we can replace them with someone that would do a satisfactory job. Yeah. But he said, you know, the only player we cannot replace is Kevin Bartlett. He's irreplaceable. We have got no one that could replace Kevin Bartlett if he happened to be out of the side with injury or something like that. Yeah. I mean, it was a great tribute. Yeah, wasn't it? I mean, I've yeah, never said lovely. that, Kevin, yeah. and I don't think Graham would have. But he yeah. said it to me. Yeah. 